So, pretty a long time ago, before my middle brother was married, I was standing at his apartment complex uh, outside because his, he'd called me because his roommate, who was pretty drunk, was trying to steal the television. So I got there and convinced him that he shouldn't steal the television, um, and we kind of got this guy out of the house, but then he sort of wandered into the parking lot, and so he was out, I was standing here, and he was probably about where that wall is in the back of our living room. And he's standing there, and he's trying to tear off a, a tree limb, and he's mad, and he's yelling, and then in a moment, like, you know, in, in, like in the movie, it's like the slow-mo moment, I see him look at me, and his eyes narrow, and I'm like, he's gonna charge me, Right? And he just runs full bore at me. Now, at the time, I was working at a hospital, like kind of my reputation at the hospital, because it was a psych ward, was that whenever anybody in the emergency was acting crazy, they'd just call Eric, and Eric would come calm him down. And if that didn't work, Eric would just deal with them. Right? Even the security officers would wait for me. So I had, I had a little bit of training. When I was in the seventh and eighth grade, one of my friends down the street was, he had like a brown belt and a keto, and so he showed me a few things. So I'm like, okay, I know a few things. So the guy's charging me, and I get in the right stance, and he's coming, and I lean in. Well, wait a minute. I, I tear off my shirt, and I put on my headband, <laughs> and I'm like, ah! No, nothing happened like that. Anyway, I lean into him, and I flip him, and he goes flying over, right, and lands on the ground. I, I didn't get knocked down, right? Because I was in the right stance. But here's the thing. I, I did go over and say, hey, are you okay? And then he was like, boom, and I fell on top of him. So <laughs> they, they, don't te- you, they don't teach that in karate to go see how the guy's doing once you've knocked him down. But anyway, I was in the, I was in the right stance. Right? I was in the right stance. And we've been in this series on forgiveness and the thing that we've been talking about in forgiveness is that at the beginning of Ephesians chapter uh, 4, it says that we should live worthy of our calling. Like as we enter into the kingdom of God, we need to live worthy of that calling. And I said there are two kind of practices in the kingdom of God that give us power, that are effective in the world. And one is repentance, and the other is forgiveness. And I talked about how in martial arts there are Closed-fist martial arts and they're open-handed martial arts, right? Closed-fisted are karate. You punch, you kick, you attack. And that's repentance in the Christian community, in following Jesus. Repentance takes some force. It takes something inside of you to say, I've done something wrong, right? You got to kind of, so it's, it's a force kind of thing. Where forgiveness is an open-handed thing. It's allowing the force of someone to come on you, right? To, to take the blow and, and deflect it. Aikido is that kind of martial art. But none of those work unless you're in the right stance, right? And so we've been meditating in this time of Lent, and this is the last time uh, that we will, at least this year, probably be talking about forgiveness. So if you haven't forgiven anybody, this is it. This is the way you got to get it together and forgive. But we've been focusing on Ephesians chapter 4, verses, I think, 30 to 32. But tonight, I just want to look at 432b. So it says, Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
So last week we talked about forgiving each other. And tonight we're going to talk about the reason that we need to forgive, and that is that we're in Christ. Right? That we're in Christ. The stance that you and I need to have is that we're in Christ. Paul does this all the time. He says, why should you give to the church? Because Christ died for you and gave his life for you. Here he's saying, why should you forgive? Because in Christ, God forgave you. He's always doing this. Whatever Christ has done, you need to respond to that. The stance for acting in the kingdom of God is firmly putting yourself in Christ. In order for you and I to forgive one another, we have to be in Christ. We have to have that as the thing that we're anchored to. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Right? What does it mean? So First Peter, Peter is, is one of the great apostles, and he writes two letters. And this, in this particular letter, at 318, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body. He, has put, he, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So when God forgives us, when we're in Christ, that forgiveness is that my, me, the unrighteous person, Christ has died for me, the righteous person. So my sins are forgiven. But really what this passage is saying is that we are brought to God, right? To be in Christ is to say we are in relationship with God. The reason that God forgives us is because our identity is in Christ. We're in relationship with him. So to be anchored in Christ, one is to acknowledge that you have a relationship with God. Right? Paul, in Ephesians, kind of continues this, and he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. When we're talking about sins, right, we're talking about missing the mark. We've talked about this a lot. Sin is missing the mark. But what you and I have been caught up in is you could imagine a loop of missing the mark, right? But not just a loop of accidentally missing the mark in our life, intentionally missing the mark. So we've been talking about things that are show evidence that we are not people of forgiveness as we've looked through Ephesians chapter 4. And some of those are is that we're bitter, that we like to fight, we think we're right all the time, that we really resist relationship with God and we grieve him. Well, sin is us intentionally doing that and being caught in an intentional loop of continually just being bitter, continually resisting God. Scripture says all the way through it that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, God's grace, is eternal life. So being anchored in Christ is knowing that your sins are forgiven and that you are in relationship with God. So we've been talking about forgiveness. We're to forgive because God forgave us in Christ. Right? And last week, we talked about foot washing. Right? And some of you actually washed each other's feet. But the picture in the Gospel of John that Jesus gives us by washing the feet of Judas and washing the feet of Peter, and washing the feet of his disciples without confronting them of their sin, but actually doing this very vulnerable thing is a picture of what it looks like to forgive. Because later on in that same passage, 
what Jesus says is that the way that you and I are to know how people are going to know who we are, who Jesus is, is by the way we love one another. And how do we know what love is? Well, John tells us later on that we know it by watching Jesus who laid his life down for us, right? Forgiveness becomes this intimate act of washing one another's feet because we're all dirty, right? Metaphorically, we all have dirty spiritual feet. I'm bitter about things that you've done. I am hurt by you. Your dirty feet have made my life difficult and vice versa, right? And vice versa. And so part of forgiveness is washing someone's feet, of acting vulnerably and saying, no, 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 let me clean that for you. No, it's okay. But we've also talked about how forgiveness is just a divorce term, right? Because what happens when someone wrongs us is that we marry the wrong. We get married to it. And so forgiveness, and really in the act of washing someone's feet, is saying, I am going to divorce the union I've made with the hurt that you've done to me. I'm going to divorce it. It's over. There's no connection between what you've done to me and our relationship. I'm putting it aside. Right? And this is what Jesus has done for us in Christ and what the Father has done for us in Christ. And so that's what we're called to. So, what does it mean then for us to anchor ourselves in Christ? What's, that, what's the stance we have? We're going to be people who actually forgive and how do we anchor ourselves in Christ? Well, Christ, there are three things that we need to look at when we talk about being in Christ. Number one, and I love three words. I'm into three words. So number one is peace, right? So the peace of Christ. Number two is the power of Christ. And number three is the life of Christ. If we're going to be in that stance where we're prepared to forgive, where we can flip the guy over us, where we can do this, then we need to anchor ourselves in peace, power, and life. So let's take a look at this. Paul in Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So to be in Christ, we have to have peace rule us. So this word rule can be umpire, direct, right? So we have to have the peace of Christ directing us in our heart, ruling us, umpiring us, if you like that word. When you have peace, it's really kind of like self-fulfillment, right? When you're at peace, you feel fulfilled. Like there's a sense of fulfillment. Well, where that comes from is from Christ. So what I thought was I, I put together, and really this is Eric Siepen's diagnostic to know why it is that you don't have the peace of Christ ruling in your life, okay? Why you don't feel at peace. Now, this is how I figure it out. So when I'm wrestling with anxiety, when there's not peace in my life, when I don't feel like I'm actually standing in Christ, here's kind of how I can figure out what's gone wrong. Number one, when I'm at the place where I need to figure it out where I'm constantly trying to figure everything out. Like there's broken relationship, I'm trying to figure it out. There's, you know, we're thinking about two services at the village and nobody shows up on a Sunday. I got to figure that out. Okay, there's, you know, my, as you know, most of you know, um, if you have kind of paid attention that my wife, you know, lost her mother this week, which by the way, just as a, 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 just a pause, the memorial service is on Saturday at 11 at the Journey. I can give you more details. You're all invited to that. But 
there I, I need to figure out how do I do that right? How do I love her correctly? When I'm trying to figure out everything, produces a lot of anxiety. Second thing is, a lot of knowledge, no action, kind of connected to the figure it out. Like a lot of us are this way. We know a lot about what we're supposed to do, but we're not doing it. And that creates a lot of anxiety and not letting the peace of Christ rule. Here's a big one that I see gets a lot of us, being agitated by the world, right? Like we're like, oh my gosh, what are all these young people doing and marching about guns? I mean, what is up with them? Where are their parents? And then you're thinking like, oh my, the, the kids are thinking, well, well, can't the adults ever pay attention to all this is going on? Like, oh, and then we get all agitated about that. And then, oh, I can come up with a whole bunch of other things, right? The world agitates us. What the heck is happening with Russia? What's going on with my neighbor? We get agitated by the world, right? Because we forget that Jesus prays in John 17 that we be in the world, but not of the world. But we've become people who are not just in it, but we're of it. And the peace of Christ doesn't rule over us because we get so caught up and agitated and frustrated with what's happening. Sometimes, and I... For a guy who stands up and and preaches, you need to look inside. I don't really like to look inside, right? Because what I find inside is a lot of unrest and things that I got to face. And so it's much easier just to stay on the outside and, and to think about how Duke lost and not, right, to not actually deal with what's going on. Here's a big one that I, I think I, I tend to be resentful right? These are my diagnostics. Like, I'm like, is there resentment in my life? I'm not at peace. Like, where's the resentment? Who do you resent? Like, you resent people. I know you do, right? And it's, it's affecting the peace in your life. It's affecting the anchoring in, your, in Christ. It's affecting your capacity to forgive. And the other two are kind of connected. When I'm dealing with my own self-image, I'm not good enough. I don't matter. Do people really care about what I have to offer? Really? Like, I know all of you are there. Like, you're in the middle of looking at your bank account, looking at the, the craziness of your children, the fact that your spouse doesn't understand you, the fact that you don't have a spouse and then you, they don't understand you. Like, there's, right there, all the, you begin to feel like, what, am I important? All of this, is an indicator that you're not letting the peace of Christ rule in your life. But if you do, there's personal fulfillment. There really is in in following Jesus. John 6.35 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If you think about that diagnostic, they all deal with a thirst and a hunger to fill something inside of us, right? All those things that you're thinking about, they're, they're trying to fill something inside of us. And what Jesus is saying is that if you direct your hunger and your thirst towards me, you're going to find peace. You're going to find personal fulfillment. You're going to actually find a settledness. And that's a key part, right? to being anchored in Christ. Part of martial arts is, is stance. 
Right? It's able to root yourself in the ground and be able to pivot the right ways, not be able to not be knocked down because you have a stance. And Jesus is saying, you want to be able to forgive others? Then you have to be anchored in me. It's about me. It's about Jesus. When you enter into the kingdom of God, letting peace rule in your life becomes a, the questions change. Because now you're asking, well, what's God doing in Eric's life? What's God doing in my kid's life? What's Jesus about at this church? What's Jesus about in my wife's life? How do I join him in parenting my stubborn toddler? Because Jesus is doing something with this toddler. I have absolutely no idea, but he's doing it. Right? We, and we need to figure it out. Like, because he is the one who is about changing things. So if, if we're centering our life around Jesus... If our hunger and thirst are focused there, our questions change. So the second one is power. But it's power in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. And this is Paul talking about what God said to him. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, I know most of you don't read postmodern philosophers, and I've stopped reading them too. But in college, I loved reading them, and, and early when we were planning this church. But really, all postmodern philosophers think is that life is about power, right? Truth is about power. Who's in charge? Who's in power? They get to tell you the way things are. But power is destructive, right? It doesn't create relationship. L- let, me, let me give you an example. So, when I was in college, my two brothers were in high school, um, and they're in the pool, and they decide that they want to throw me in. Right? They're going to throw me in. Okay, so they jump out of the pool, and they both tackle me, and I grab one, my younger brother in one arm, and my older brother or middle brother in the other arm, and I just walk over there, and I'm like, throw them in, and I'm like, yeah, I'm the oldest. That's right. It's a power thing. Who's in charge? Right, well, that's, that's like a, a nice one, but it gets even worse. Like I come home from school, or not from school, from work, and I'm tired. I've been working at, at uh, uh, oh, what's that? I don't know. Some bar that I was working at. What was the name of that bar? Honey? Where did I work? I'm old all of a sudden. I forgot. Cactus Moon. Yes, I was working at the Cactus Moon. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and I was all sweaty and grimy from flipping steaks and everything. And my brother's in the pool, and he's like, starts splashing me and splashing me. And I'm like, you do that again, and I'm going to jump in with my clothes in, on and drown you. And he's like, you're not going to do that. And I'm like, yes, I am. And I jump in the pool, and I hold him down till both of us were a little afraid, right? And it's been a pretty dramatic, you know, we've, we've worked through that, that story uh, some. But it was a painful moment. Of course, now I was kind of apologizing for that recently once again, because I apologize all the time for it. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, I started babysitting and some kid was doing the same thing. So I did the same thing to him and I never babysat for that family again. <laughs> but I learned that from you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. Well, that's not good. Um, but anyway, like, so, so the power is destructive. So, but here's the thing that, like, what 
Jesus, or Paul is saying is like, it's not in the things that I do well, the things where I can walk in and amaze you and impress you, that's going to be the thing that's transformative. What God is saying is, no, in, my, in your weakness, Paul, in the places you feel inadequate, Paul, in the places where you choose not to exert your power, that's where I'm going to be made known. That's where I'm going to be demonstrated. So if you think about that, what happens when you and I Whoops, wrong way. When we allow power to be demonstrated in our weakness is that we end up with family unity, right? We end up with family unity. In Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying here that Gentiles and Jews are the same now and that men and women are the same now. And that slaves and free people are the same now. He's saying that there's still differences. He's not saying that your ethnicity does not matter anymore. But he's saying that the power dynamic that exists between these three categories, between ethnicity, between basically wealth, the haves and the have-nots, and between male and female, no longer exists in Christ when we decide to allow power to be demonstrated in weakness. So think about that example of when my brothers wanted to throw me in the pool. I knew I could throw them in the pool. I felt good about throwing them in the pool. But what if I let them throw me in the pool? Well, what happens is all of a sudden we have family unity because they f- I've given my power up to them. I said, no, 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 I'm actually going to allow you to feel good about yourself instead of me. I'm going to level the playing field here. We're going to, and you know what? They'll be, when we're older, they'll laugh. Hey, you remember that time we threw you in the pool? That was so funny, right? Not like, oh, you were the bigger brother and you always just kind of beat up on us, which is their story, right? right? It changes things. It changes things. So when you and I choose to anchor ourselves in the fact that God's power is demonstrated through our weakness and not through our exerting our own power, we're rooted in Christ, and we begin to develop family unity. We change the way we understand each other, right? We change how we interact with each other. And we become community where there's no community before. Right? When Paul's writing this, the Jews hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles were really confused, but they didn't really like the, the Jews. You know, slave and free, that was a very distinct thing and male and female also very distinct and and if you look at this each one is a power position and not a power position so it's just good things to think about so the third one is life expressed if we have rooting ourselves in peace and in the power of christ the peace of christ then christ's life expressed in second corinthians 4 10 and following it says we, and this is Paul talking, always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And for those of you who don't know this passage, you know that previous, he's basically talking about all the punishment and strife that he and the other disciples have gone through in order for the 
people that he's writing to, to have the gospel spoken and to know it and to experience its life. And so what Paul is saying is that we are, when we chose to follow Jesus, we decided to take on all the scorn of Jesus because we knew then that that would give you the freedom to live. What I like about this is that what Paul is saying is that following Jesus, being anchored in Christ, it's not an easy thing, right? It's not an easy thing. There's a story, and you probably all know it in the Gospels, where the disciples follow Jesus onto a boat, right? And they get on that boat, and they're like, do 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 And they're all good fishermen. And they go out into the water, and Jesus sleeps. And a gigantic storm happens. And they get all mad at Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, what the heck are you doing? Why are you sleeping? But what's fascinating to me is that the disciples were comfortable with the boat being anchored at the shore, and they were comfortable with it moving out as long as there isn't any storm. But they weren't too comfortable when there was a storm and Jesus was sleeping, right? I like this story because it represents how difficult it is to follow Jesus. Like when you decide to follow Jesus, it's not like a, ooh, yay. Like it's powerful because there's peace. It's powerful because God has demonstrated your weakness. But for other people to taste it, you and I are called into a deep sacrifice. For Jesus' life to be expressed in other people, you and I have a lot to give up. It's crazy. Like, it's exciting, but it's crazy. And Paul's saying, it's crazy. It's been so crazy that I've been beaten and battered, but I'm excited because as I am dying in my body, you guys get to know the gospel and live. Right? That's the passion of following Jesus. Saying, okay, I'm willing to be battered in my body. I'm actually willing to be wronged and forgive in order for you to live and know the gospel. Right? So life expressed. But the way that that happens is that you and I have a radical transformation. Right? If we're in Christ and our sins are forgiven, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Being rooted in Christ, allowing Christ's life to be expressed, is an acknowledgement that you're a new creation. You aren't the old person. You aren't caught in the loop. Right? You aren't resentful. You, you have a new life to live. You're a new creation. So the question then that I have for you tonight, and I would love to open this up for conversation, but I want you to think about this question. Because for you to effectively forgive people, for you to be able to do that, you have to be rooted in Christ. So the question becomes, what's wrong with your stance? Right? If the stance for you and I to be able to forgive is to be rooted in Christ, then what's wrong with your stance? Because I know there's always something wrong with my stance. Like, forgiveness is hard. Because you know what happens? Forgiveness means that I have to give up power. I have to give up trying to attain my own peace. I have to be for Jesus' life expressed, not my life expressed. 
So what's wrong with your stance? What's going on that makes it difficult as you think through all these things? What time is it? So do you guys have any comments or questions, thoughts? Anybody want to go after this at all? Or you just want to think about what's wrong with your stance? Kevin, that's a question. Um, going back to the John thirty, John six thirty five passage, mm-hmm. um, I'll just read it again for everybody. Jesus says, "Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there's a difference there. Hunger and thirst are different things. And so, if it's possible to come to Him, as you know, I come to church and I, I come to Him. And I receive sustenance in the form of food. Um, but is it possible to come and not believe and still be left thirsting while being sustained in his presence? When I don't believe, I don't have that deep, deeper, you know, desire of thirst actually touched on. That's a deep question. <laughs> so what you're saying is when I come to Jesus, that's. I can be sustained, but belief is built up in the thirst that he kind of connects those two things. That's what he's saying. I don't know if that's intentional. That's a good question. And at this point, I I don't know if I have an answer for that. Well, it it makes me think of, I was just reading Luke before I came here, where he says, okay, so let me tell you a story. If you come to me and if you have my knowledge Mm -hmm. and if you follow it, it's good. You built your house on firm foundation. If you come to me and you have my knowledge and you don't follow it, well, you're actually rooted in a, the right place. You pick the right place to build your house, and you'll be okay. But then when things get hard, you know, you're going to get washed away. So I'm just wrestling if what my own stance is. Like, I definitely have come to Jesus and have knowledge of him, but I don't know that I believe him or follow him all the time. Certainly not all the time. But. All right, and, and maybe you could connect the thirst part of it to the actual rooting yourself in Christ in the embracing of peace and and power and life. I mean just for the recording. I feel like in my own life, my experience has been when I came to Christ, I had a thirst. Mm. I had a thirst to read and learn and devour everything. Yes. And I get older I've lost that a lot. <laughs> Right. No, no, that's that's my experience too. So I was thinking um, in the terms of the stance for forgiveness. So I and like your analogy of flipping the person over, like that's a forgiveness. So I wonder what it's like to be forgiven by God that way. Just thinking about that. <laughs> Being flipped over <laughs> on my back going, ah. Um, yeah. These guys have got some good thoughts. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, Jeff, when I, uh, that is, like for me, like coming here, being around people who are constantly going to push me like, it, it does kind of, it forces me at times to be out of, um, 
sort of the, the, the mundaneness. And it also, when I see the thirst of other people, then I, I want that. Like when I'm around people who are thirsty, um, I want that. But yeah, I think it becomes the struggle of following Jesus is uh, that you don't have that drive. Anybody else have any other thoughts? Yes, ma'am. When I think about the stance idea and, you know, kind of how we come when we're coming to, say, the community of people, it's kind of like Paul has stopped coming to community with the question is God giving me what I want or what I need or like, am I comfortable or like, and it, like he's sort of let go of those kind of questions and he's coming into community it, with people who probably heard him pretty regularly because, you know, he was being vulnerable and it, his, his longing, his stance was, I want you to know the thing that has given me meaning and given me hope and giving given like and so it so the thirst was no longer like I'm thirsty I want you to make me feel better mm. the thirst was I I want like the reconciliation of the world you know yeah. I want people to understand what God has offered in his sacrifice. Mm. I like that. Wanting other people to taste. Like the thirst is not for my own, but so much for everyone else to taste and drink of God. That's pretty cool. Anybody else have any other thoughts, questions, ideas? I used to be able to throw Kevin in the pool <laughs> and Stephen. And I'm, I'm thinking how great that feeling was. <laughs> um, and I, I guess I just want to confess that, like, where I'm at is I just don't want to give up power. And I get hung up on that. And I kind of, like, I mean, I'll, I'll go back and listen to the sermon, but I kind of, after you told me about giving up power, I was like, okay, well, that's... Yeah, that's just really hard for me. Thanks, David. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Yes, Rod. Of course, you will give up power because you'll we live in an age of decay, and you'll get old. <laughs> and, um, and so we do lose power, whether we want to or not. Yes. Um, and so uh, we get led around in the end um, by our hand. Um, one of the great things about passion, however, I, I too went through long stages, I think, of life being so overwhelming that you don't um, take the time, don't have the time to just realize 
the abject dependence you have on on God and his goodness and and so I think in my old age my passion for intimacy with God increases whereas um, the joys of this world or the struggles of this world or the passions of this world become less so um, as I age. So the great gift I think that God gives us is that he allows us to age. <laughs> Thanks, Rod. It's a good reminder. Anybody have time? I think so. We have a little more time. Anybody have any more thoughts? Yep. Kevin? Well, just real quick, in thinking about when you said you used to throw your two little brothers in the pool, and yeah, David did that, and... I mean, otherwise, David was a terrific brother, and it sounds like you were too, but just thinking of why wouldn't he, what would it have taken for him to just let us throw him in? It's, it's such an exposing, fallacious um, experience that I don't blame him for not doing it, you know, and I don't blame you for not doing it. Your little, we would go threaten him, say, hey, you're going in the pool, and he's like, no, you guys are going in the pool, <laughs> and he would do it. Like, why would, why would he not do that? He's 12. Right. You know, right? And I agree. I mean, it's it's a definite brother thing, but it's also a good illustration for uh, that's walking into Christian community. Though, is people say, "I'm gonna throw you in the pool." And you're like, uh, "No, you're not." And and what Paul's that that's what Paul's saying is that people were saying, "I want to throw you in the pool," and he said, "Yeah, I let you throw me in the pool." You know, for the sake of Christ, I let you throw me in the pool. I think that's that's a powerful thing. Well, unless there's any other comments or thoughts, questions. All right, well, let me pray. Father, um, I think probably what I will remember most about this sermon is that I shouldn't let my brothers throw me in the pool. Um, but uh, I, I just thank you that you're constantly challenging us and, and wanting us to be rooted in you and so that we can practice forgiveness, so that we can be messy around each other and so that we can show grace to one another. So I thank you again for this community and ask that you would continue to speak as we sing and as we eat together. And I ask that in your holy name. Amen.